Mission First Tactical is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. So happy to be here, you guys. This is just a dream come true for me. You got your drink, CJ? Let your whistle? <coughs> is anybody yep. going to be out at a certain time? I need to make sure we're done and wrapped by a certain time. Uh, CJ has said it like me. Okay. Nothing that should, nothing that should impact it. Okay. All right. Let's get this party started. Y'all ready? All right, all right, all right, lead heads. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. I am your host, Lefty, bringing you all the education. Ten years of educating the uneducated here on the Talking Lead Podcast. And we just did a big celebration, celebrating our ten years, our 500th episode, and our new logo. And uh, one lucky person won $6,000 worth of prizes and swag. So congratulations to that winner, and he did claim it. So for you uh, hopefuls that were hoping that the guy wouldn't claim it and that uh, we would do another pick, you're out of luck. So he claimed it, and he seems to be uh, receiving all the stuff now. So hopefully we'll start seeing pictures of that on the the interwebs and and whatnot. Uh, But never fear, because we will put together another giveaway. Um, Maybe not this year, but maybe the first of next year, but there's still a little bit of time. You never know. We may throw another one together before the end of the year. But be checking our social meds on Instagram. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Uh, we are now on Rumble. That's where I'm trying to post all of our videos and get away from that boob tube, uh, YouTube, uh, the commie station there. So uh, check us out on Rumble. Make sure you're following us there. Uh, and then, uh, of course, any of the podcasting apps. We're on all of them. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. You can find us everywhere, even in uh, Idaho. <laughs> We've been known been known to show up in Idaho. <laughs> so joining us today, and you guys know that I've kind of started this monthly uh, segment. It's kind of unofficial, but I've always wanted to do a monthly knife segment, and we've done it for the last three months, and uh, keeping the ball rolling with this episode. I think I'm calling it From the Sheath. What do you guys think about that name? Is that like a good name from the sheath? Yeah, you dig it? Commander's kind of well, like, yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. It's practical. So, very good. So this episode, uh, we have gathered the the minds and brains and creativity from, uh, we got Idaho, two of you from Idaho, and one in an undisclosed location. I'm sure he doesn't want his location known so and these are the masterminds behind and you've heard me talk about it the last few episodes the release of the new buckmaster 2.0 the dive pro did i get that right is that, is that where technically we're at? Com, com, combat diver combat dive pro okay there you go combat dive pro there you go not to be confused with the combat swimmer <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll hear about. <laughs> <clears throat> we're gonna hear we're gonna hear a lot about uh, the knife today. We're gonna go behind the scenes, talk about uh, how it got started, the design, and to where we finally ended up. And I've got mine uh, right here with the finished product. Uh, our our faithful leadheads have seen me. I've 
held this up several times during episodes, been showing it to some of our other guests uh, that we've had on the show. So we're going to go into details about this bad boy today. And joining me, ladies and gentlemen, to do this, and you you heard this guy last, was it last episode or two episodes ago on the AK Corner? Two, yeah. Two, about two episodes ago, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Rich Nyman is joining us for his his like second official full episode. So Rich has got a, a very diverse background. I don't know that we really talked about your background much uh, on the AK Corner, but um, you attended the University of Oregon, and uh, yes, you really boned up on the military history while you were at Oregon, and uh, you're like one of the authorities in military history, which is where you get a lot of your knowledge when you're writing your books. So Rich is also an author. He's written two books that I know of. Is, is there yes, another sir. one or two that are that are hidden? There's one. There's one in the works, okay. and it's uh, on this series, and it will be uh, uh, bouncing back and forth from Commander Coulter's uh, life in the teams to current. And we're going to be bouncing back and forth. Uh, you finally talked him into not <laughs> technically writing a book, but close. Twist, twist, and, right? Uh, it should be pretty interesting. So yeah. we're looking forward to that. So it'll be called uh, uh, the. Yep. Oh, go ahead. What's it going to be called? I have uh, his name. His, his, his it's going to be called uh, Buckmaster Combat Series by Commander D.T. Coulter, a SEAL retired. And Richard Nyman, so the commanders first. And I start the book with uh, the commander in, in 1967, and uh, it's going to be amazing. It's starting with his history, so there you uh, go. I'm, I feel very blessed. Yes, sir. So Rich has written uh, written the Buckmaster Knives, the Authorized History of Models 184 and 185, which I've got here. Yes, sir. So I've got that mm -hmm. book. And then we gave away this book on the AK Corner, the M9 Bayonet. The Authorized History. One of our lucky leadheads has won that. And you've got that. You're going to get it autographed by uh, a couple of people that are on CJ the CJ today. Yes, sir. Yeah. So <laughs> so I've gotten a couple of emails from the guy. He's anxious to get it. So I let him know that it's coming and it's going to be coming with some <laughs> some extras. So he's, he's cool with that. Oh, okay. I got some. Uh... <laughs> now, something else we didn't know about oh. Rich is, is Rich is an Eagle Scout. As well, I mean that's that's nothing yes, to laugh at, man. That's a great accomplishment. Yeah, I was uh, that was back in the eighties. So yeah, I was uh, uh, pretty. It's pretty amazing. I even got a flag that flew over the White House when President Reagan was uh, president. So that meant a lot to me. Very nice. Also joining us from Idaho. And he's no stranger to you, Leadheads. He's been on the show several times. I think this is like, like your second or third like full episode, other than the the shows that we do. Uh, is CJ Buck? Yeah. CEO and chairman of Buck Knives. Are you there? I am here. Okay. Are you done? No, I'm it? not. It's it's kind of cut. Is that in my and big out. introduction? <laughs> That's it. Drum roll, please. <laughs> That's all you get. Um, but our 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 okay. listeners, our I'll longtime listeners, are familiar with CJ. CJ, like I said, CEO, chairman of Buck Knives. He's the fourth generation family member to run Buck Knives. Uh, 
which uh, CJ started working back in 1978. So were you like six when you started working there? <laughs> yeah, a bit older than that. <laughs> working on the production line, building the 110 folding hunters. Mm-hmm. So is that like your favorite since that's the one you started and cut your teeth on? Uh, one of, yeah. One of, okay. It was. It's the, it's the Goldilocks knife. It's uh, not too big, not too small. Not too light, not too heavy, just go. right. And that's why it did so well and continues to survive. <clears throat> we introduced that in 64, so uh, it continues to be a top seller all these years later. Oh, absolutely. It's a main staple for, for Buck Knives. Now, here's something I didn't know about you is uh, the American Knife and Tool Institute that you co-founded mm-hmm. that back in 1996. Yeah, that was... Uh, so there was some legislation in California that had to do with uh, a reinterpretation of what is a dirk and dagger. So when they reinterpreted what the law said, it made a lot of things that used to be legal now illegal. And so we we went in and, and I, I worked hand in hand with Les Deosis with uh, Benchmade Knives. And so he and I uh, went to Sacramento and, and, and actually got new language introduced, basically saying a, a folding knife couldn't be a dirk or dagger. So it was, we, we did accomplish something in that interpretation battle, but that, that was in 1995 and realized the industry needed a, a common voice. And so, uh, so he and I started the American Knife and Tool Institute. Very cool. And, is that a nationwide organization? It is. Yeah, it it, it pretty much it, it it from an analogy standpoint, it would be like being uh, the uh, it's an industry association, and yeah. so it really encompasses. Uh, we have members across our entire industry, uh, especially those who feel more responsible for you know for providing resources to benefit the industry. Uh, so we have we have uh, large knife dealers, manufacturers, importers. Uh, we have hunters, fishermen. Uh, we have uh, the, the the trades, the union trades, carpenters, electricians. I mean, all the people that use knives. That constituency, from a consumer standpoint as well as an industry standpoint, uh, you know, we all have uh, a reason to want to be able to carry the the tools of our choice, and and knives are one of those tools. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of like the USCCA for the firearms industry, uh, because what you guys are, you're nonprofit. And what your goal is, is to, um, I guess, influence legislation and laws so that people can make, buy, sell, carry uh, knives and yep. edge weapons. And we, we work a lot with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation because hunters are so interested. Uh, they're probably one of the more travel centric knife carriers mm-hmm. you know people that hunt uh we also have uh so we do some federal legislation as well as we do state by state and we've had uh, enormous successes in in getting state laws uh changed there's a lot of there's a lot of archaic terms that have been built into law so what is a dirk well a couple hundred years ago everybody knew exactly what that meant today not so much. We don't. It's not a common vernacular now that's yeah. used. So when when we find these archaic terms, 
we would then go in and say, you know what, if, if you want a certain blade length, like don't say Bowie knives are illegal, but if you want 10 inch blade to be, be too long, yeah. then specify it. Tell it, tell us ex objectively, tell us exactly what it is you want to make legal or illegal. And then we can, we can talk about it. So what we do is we go in, we eliminate those archaic terms, or we try and get an, a law that makes no sense. We try and get that stricken completely. And we've had very, very good success sitting down with legislators and going, you know, this knife is legal, this knife is illegal. God, they're almost exactly the same in use. Let's change this law so that this confusion doesn't take place. Yeah. And in the current environment where, you know, people are worried about interactions with law enforcement, if you want to have a very irritated interaction with law enforcement, force police officers to enforce a law that doesn't make any sense. That's the worst way. That's the best way to have the worst encounter with somebody. So <laughs> no if doubt. we can go in so things can be commonsensical, uh, that's that's our goal. Yeah, but well, we all know how common sense and government works. It's, it's a it's a tough, it's a square peg in a round hole, but you just got to push it hard enough. Yeah. Now, um, we talked about this a little bit in episodes past, is that you're a member, um, like one of the first members of the Boone and Crockett Club as well yeah not not one of the so so boone and crockett has a hundred regular members it was initiated by teddy roosevelt back in uh oh, I'm gonna well yeah i guess you that. weren't I one of the original like 18, <laughs> 1887 i think is yeah. when it was december 5th that that date i do remember uh, but uh, uh he called a group together and that was where that was the birthplace of uh, american conservation the north american model for conservation yeah. And and it has been so successful. The, the 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 wildlife populations in the early 1900s were beginning to go extinct. The fear was that elk were going away, moose was going away, antelope were going away because the the market hunters were being so effective. They were just eliminating wildlife. Yeah. You know, feeding themselves, building railroads, doing all the stuff we had to do for manifest destiny. But they were using wildlife to feed that effort and wildlife just could not sustain that type of pressure. So uh, Teddy Roosevelt saw it happening and and did something about it, being quite the, the conservation visionary. And uh, th there's so many groups that have spawned from the Boone and Crockett Club, from Ducks Unlimited to, to uh, uh, all the critter groups today, that so many of them came from interaction with the Boone and Crockett Club, game limits, uh, uh, light hunting licenses, uh, wildlife refuges, the the uh, the, de the whole Department of the Interior yeah. was was uh, you know just part of that. So it's just it's I'm I'm really proud because that means a lot to me to be able to leave wild green spaces full of life to my grandkids. That's that that means a lot to me. Now, is it by design that there's only 100 regular members? It is, yeah. Okay. No, it was limited because Teddy Roosevelt just felt like if it got too big, it would not be able to function anymore. Right. And so they limited it, and it's and it continues to that day. And you have to be nominated and approved. And uh, so anyway, yeah, yeah, proud to be a part of it. Yeah. And what I meant to say was you're one of only 100 regular members of the Boone and Crockett Club. So oh, yes, Pretty sir. exclusive. Yes. Pretty exclusive. Yeah. And then also we didn't know this about you, CJ, is 
2016, you were inducted into the Cutlery Hall of Fame. I didn't know there yeah, was such you know, a it's thing. Funny. <laughs> it's funny because as you started this segment with uh, the American Knife and Tool Institute, that's basically the reason. So the Cutlery Hall of Fame tries to recognize people that have made a significant impact to the industry. So my grandfather, with the introduction of the 110, turned our industry on its head. So he was inducted in the 80s. Uh, my father, um, oh, I'm blanking on the reason, but, uh, uh, but he was inducted in the 90s. And then uh, through the co-founding of the American Knife and Tool Institute, uh, I was nominated and, and inducted in, uh, in the 2000s. Where is that located? Do you know? I, I I think it's more of an idea than a location. Is that what it, you know, like the baseball hall of fames and like Canton, Ohio, and you, know, you got yeah, the yeah. I I again, I, I I don't know that the Cutlery Hall of Fame is a location. Okay. I think it's more of an idea, um, and 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 more of a record than uh, than a museum. Gotcha. Well, maybe you should make a museum out of it. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. You guys got the start there at. Uh, at your Post Falls office, too. You're, you, how's that museum coming along? I know when I came up and visited uh, last time, you guys were working on like a museum type. Yeah, continuing. That that continues. We haven't done the remote. We're revamping our entire front lobby. Uh, that'll That's going to happen in the next spring. Okay. Very well, I so want to th- come this see This is that. our busy season right now. We don't do anything to disrupt ourselves. Oh, yeah. Uh, going into hunting and holidays. But uh, next spring, when it slows down a bit, we're going to do a whole new revamp, already starting to set aside, uh, already starting to set aside, uh, uh, you know, different memorabilia, things that my father owned, grandfather owned, uh, old historical knives. Uh, it, it's it, it's actually I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. I can't wait to come up and check it out when you guys finish that. Now I got to talk to you when we get done. I've got to get another Skinner because uh, last year, last season. Uh, I lost my Skinner, so I gotta. Uh oh, gotta get another one before I go out. So we gotta talk about that. Also joining us this episode, and uh, this is his first, like official, first full talking lead episode. He's been on before. We introduced him at Shot Show two or three years ago, and uh, it was, and it was talking about this idea of the release of this new Buckmaster 2.0 and and all the great things that it could be and become. And ladies and gentlemen, it's Commander Tom Coulter, ladies and gentlemen, SEAL, U.S. Navy, retired. Commander Coulter spent 27 years as a U.S. Navy SEAL. He was in BUDS class, now I may say this wrong, 1967-0240. What is that? How do you say that? At the time, on the East Coast, where training was being conducted, the designation for the classes was 6702 representing the second class of 67. It also equated with the west coast which was class 40. Okay. So that's the reason for the 670240. There you go. Indication. Very good. Uh and when were the seals originally started? Well, uh, President Kennedy started the SEALs based on uh, selecting members of uh, various underwater demolition teams at the time. And they formed up SEAL Team 1 on the West Coast 
and SEAL Team 2 on the East Coast. And that occurred around 61. Okay. So, I mean, you're... So it's been about 50 years. It's a 50-year process of which I spent 25 years of it immersed into it. Right. And you're kind of one of the first... Um, one of the no, leaders. I'm, one I'm of the not leaders. one of the first seals. Well, no, I mean, you're one early. You're one of the early seals from from its inception. With the early seals, when you uh, when you start talking about the throughput in uh, buds and other uh, contributing assets, um, when you know it's fifty, we've celebrated fifty five years since we graduated. So yeah. It it, uh, it moves on. So you are considered um, one of the leading technology security individuals in the world. I guess that's in your private um, business that you have there. I don't know how much you want to talk about that. It's what I do and what I have done for the Department of Energy and for the Department of Homeland Security is I have investigated uh, both domestically and internationally, high-activity radiological sources to determine their vulnerability. And if they were vulnerable, I would uh, recommend mitigation solutions to, uh, to rectify that problem. Now, is it true that the Department of Energy uh, is... I don't know how to say this, better, well-equipped um, uh, weaponry, I guess, than than any other government agency? Well, they're not equipped with anything, but they have national laboratories that produce product and uh, and handle the, the transport, uh, if you will, of... Uh, nuclear weapons and nuclear material. Yeah. I guess what I meant was along the lines of their security, um, the personnel that they have employed for their security um, as far as... They, they certainly, you know, it's not so much if you go to Crystal City in Virginia where they're housed. It's, it's not like you're going to uh, run into a bunch of armed guards but what you will know is that anytime there's any movement of any material, mm-hmm. which can be uh, used for nefarious purposes, it's very well protected. Right. <clears throat> I think what I read in the article that I read is as far as ammo goes, uh, they're the highest or one of the highest consumers of of the ammunition. So. I don't think that's Okay. May not be. I think. (laughs) And I I only say this because when I was assigned as the executive officer as SEAL Team 6, my 9mm allocation was larger than the United States Marine Corps. Yeah. So it's unlikely that they would have surpassed that. But ammunition has, uh, has the the wars in, in Afghanistan and other countries have perpetuated the development of lots of ammunition. Yes. Both yeah. foreign and domestic. Yeah. And I think we're starting to 
to feel that here on a consumer level here in America. So I think a lot of that allotment is going over to to fuel. Well, it will, it will, and it has. Uh, it's never sort of rescinded after our pullout of Afghanistan. It was just sort of flat. But now when we're arming others uh, and providing them ammunition, it becomes uh, imperative that we get them the best ammunition we can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing is um, that you were involved in the training of more than 7,000 foreign special force operators and more than 70% of today's top SEAL commanders. Uh, that number may be slightly skewed. Yeah. Certainly thousands, whether it's 7,000 or not. Uh, but I retired from the military in 92, and many of the officers that served under me have, uh, have advanced and, and are now representing the leadership of Naval Special Warfare. So it was, uh, you know, but that's what, that's what officers do. You train your relief, you know, but you, starting the first day you're in the job, you start training your relief so that when you leave, the position will be filled by a qualified individual. Now, are there any uh, notable uh, names, personalities that we know of today that maybe you, you trained? Well, it's not so much I train. You know, when you start talking about training, I have trained with and served with. Sure. Um, and without their permission, I would be reluctant to provide you any names of folks. Uh, like a true seal. You can, you can <laughs> safely assume that the first group of uh, flag officers and SEAL team I worked with, served with, served, worked for, and uh, enjoyed uh, working with them. So, you know, and that would include about 20 or so flag officers. Sure, sure. So the answer is yes, we probably know some of the people that you worked with. Uh, just leave it at that. How about that? <laughs> so you also wrote the operational requirement in 1984 for the survival knife package which led to the development of the Buckmaster Model 184. And uh, subsequently, the SEAL purchased, what, 2,500 of those? Uh, in 85? They purchased a good number of them. My participation, uh, because I was involved with research, development, test, and evaluation of Special Warfare Group 2, my issue was to solicit inputs from the field about a general purpose knife to replace uh, the standard issue K-bar that had been used for many years. So that's my involvement was to come up with uh, characteristics of this knife. And uh, then as I did that, um, I subsequently went to a new duty station and the knife matured and developed uh, after my departure into what it was today. I wasn't involved with the 
operational evaluation or the technical evaluation of that particular blade, but I did have input into the operational requirements. That, uh, and an operational requirement is necessary for any new product development. Yeah. Now, with your um, your time as chief staff officer with the Naval Special Warfare Group 2, you had started a high-tech procurement arm of the Naval Special Warfare. Talk about that. Well, that started before then. When I was, uh, after graduate school, I was assigned to uh, the Naval Sea Systems Command in Washington. And that was basically a payback tour for having them send me to, to uh, graduate school. Uh, when I got there, I was assigned to uh, the diving and salvage area. Uh, Naval Special Warfare had a small budget uh, to support uh, special operational requirements 3801 and 3802. Um, so what I tried to do and eventually did, uh, along with the assistance of some very capable men, uh, was to consolidate uh, so we were working for like three or four different laboratories as opposed to the laboratories were working for us. So what I did was uh, I established the first special warfare group uh, development arm, if you will. And it was in the weapons area of NAVC and it was identified as O6Z. So that's uh, so not just knives, but oh no no there was it was not just knives. Uh, it was submersibles. It was dry deck shelters. It was all anything to support seals in the way of life support systems or um, weaponry, if you will. Right. Very good. Uh, and I guess, the, you know, with that, uh, back in 84, 85 involvement with uh, the Buckmaster, that's kind of led to the journey to where we're at today, talking about the the uh, new Combat Dive Pro 2.0. Well, the development of the knife, is, as I have uh, written, uh, was a, basically a project that, took 55 years to bear fruit. And when I say bear fruit, you know, from the first time I ever received a fixed blade knife in the military till the time CJ and, and his folks were able to give me, put in my hand, a, the most suitable replacement available. Um, that was, that took 55 years. <clears throat> and lots of input, but it could not have happened without CJ. And if we had to talk about someone who was ramrodding it, that would, that would be rich. Um, I have the blades, uh, probably about 14 blades, and they started with the K-bar, and they ended with... The combat diver knife, as, as I refer to it as. Yeah. And that was uh, through 
four prototypes, one from Bob McDonald and three from Doug Olson, uh, a pre-prototype from uh, Victor Bortuno, and we settled on the blade type and, and started moving forward, and we just chipped away at it. And the last time I saw you, you know, it was when we got the go-ahead from CJ that, that this was going to be actually a project. Yeah. And, uh, and he was more than good to his word. So without CJ, there is no combat diver knife. There you go. Now, I muted you two guys, so feel free to unmute when you want to chime in, Rich and CJ. Had some background noise there. So how many years <clears throat> was the 184 uh, in service with the SEALs, would you say? Do you know? Uh, well, I think it, you know, they, there still might be some floating around in some supply locker. Um, <laughs> but I want to find yeah. those and, and claim uh, them. I'm sorry? <laughs> I said I want to find those and claim them. <laughs> they're they're rare. Um, the they were probably in service for about I want to say twenty years from from the issuing time until and you know basically when you start talking about it after after nine eleven all of the operational kit changed and it changed dramatically and it was sort of you know if you wanted what you wanted you just went out and bought it and if whatever kind of knife that was because as as the uh, as the war progressed it became apparent that there wasn't going to be a lot of diving uh, involved so the pursuit of a diving knife uh, wasn't necessarily going to be the answer. And therefore, it never received a lot of attention, uh, which I pursued uh, sort of after, uh, sort of after it was apparent to me that we weren't making any progress uh, in a combat diver's knife. Now, it should be noted that when we talk about the combat diver's knife, a combat diver is different than a combat swimmer. Uh, hmm. Seals, for the most part, are combat swimmers. And they go horizontally from point A to point B. And they may have several way stops and, and timed evolutions. A diver is vertical from the surface to whatever. But clearly, the identification of a combat diver's knife is a little bit more marketable and appealing than a combat swimmer knife, which makes you think of Phelps doing flip terms in an Olympic pool. So <laughs> we wanted to get away from that. Do <laughs> you guys have anything to add to that? Rich, CJ? Uh, the, uh uh, along that line, uh, not really. That was my project as a 23-year-old kid. So uh, I was special projects manager at the time. Talk about um, the inception of that idea for the the 184. 
how that came about there, Buck. It's an interesting story uh, in that. Uh, so my father, Charles T. Uh, Chuck Buck. So my father had some pretty strong feelings about uh, Buck knives not making a, a fighting or tactical knife. We were a, a hunting everyday carry knife company. We dabbled in kitchen cutlery on the side, but but so that was where my father's head was at. So it was it was quite an education for him when we when we first had uh, a company up in Oceanside approach us. Who one of the members of that company happened to be a dealer of ours, so was familiar with our product line, and they approached us. Would we consider making this particular knife? And it was the sawtooth hollow handle survival knife that that uh, a custom knife maker in, in Arkansas had made really popular. And then Sylvester Stallone made even more popular with the first <laughs> Blood movies. Yeah. So people just got enamored with this concept, and and so it was a it was a learning experience for us to see more of the tool survival aspect. How this particular knife really wasn't a good fighting knife. It was capable, but that's not what it was designed for. It, it was very much a survival tool. And once we got our head around that, uh, then my father was okay with us building it. Whiskey River Beef, farm to table with a twist. Come along with us on a quest towards achieving self-sufficiency in food production and fostering a robust local food source to promote good health. Stock up with premium Tennessee beef, unparalleled in flavor and tenderness. You can be confident that you're receiving beef with no added growth hormones or implants. Always pasture-raised, locally USDA processed, and shipped straight to your home. Whiskey River beef is grass and whiskey mash fed and finished, and is at least 14 days dry aged to enhance the tenderness and give you the most robust flavor imaginable. Go to whiskeyriverbeef.com today to order. Visit us on Instagram at Whiskey River Life and on Facebook at Whiskey River Beef LLC. Whiskey River Beef is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. And I know we talked about this on a previous episode, but I mean, it was a hugely popular knife for the public. Um, did, did you guys have like an estimated amount? How many of those that you you produced? <laughs> yeah, that it, that's another interesting story. So uh, uh, so we we put the knife together. Uh, we we worked with this company up in Oceanside, uh, Probus, Qualitech and Probus. Um, we worked with this company to fine tune the designs, and and it's always the challenge as as anyone in manufacturing to. Any, anybody can invent anything, and it might be impossible to manufacture. And then so you have to take what you're given, and you have to dial it in so that you can repeatedly produce it. You can manufacture it. So you have to polish off some rough edges, maybe round some corners, maybe enlarge some holes, maybe, maybe uh, 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 you know, make, create more commonality amongst within the knife. And so... And you have to do that without losing the magic of the original sample, and and which which is super easy to do. You can commoditize out yeah. so much value <laughs> trying to make it manufacturable, and you and you have to fight that. So you, you 
you have to have this balance. So we worked for well over a year on dialing in the, the manufacturing processes, how we're going to heat treat this thing, how we're going to make it watertight. We're going to deal with corrosion resistance. Can we put a compass in it? Oh, no. <laughs> Stainless steel tends to be a little magnetic. So, no, that didn't really work as well as we hoped it would. Like there were all kinds of pieces that we had to dial in over time, which makes the early versions of that knife very collectible because we were we were just You're we were making changes as we were going. Yeah, so so we we worked that out, and unbeknownst to us, the the first Blood movie was just about to be introduced, and so we we introduced our our Buckmaster in 1984, and. Uh, the first Blood movie came out, and so we had a forecast. I want to say we'd take it out to the reps who didn't really want to sell it. They didn't know how to sell it. It was weird looking. Yeah. They didn't want to sell it. And uh, so, the, so we had an annual forecast, I want to say, of about 2,500 pieces. And that first year, we sold well over 50,000 pieces because <laughs> the first Blood movie Sylvester hit, and everybody... <laughs> you couldn't get the custom knife because the guy could only make a few of them, but you could get a Buckmaster knife. Brilliant. It was brilliant and you didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hollywood. Oh, best salesman yeah, ever. Yeah, they, they both help and hurt at times. That's true. That's true. Definitely. Now, um, Rich, you wrote the book. And I was one of those... Yeah, I I was one of those young guys back in 1985. I saw the Ace Hardware, and I saved up a whole bunch of my lifeguard money because it cost me a hundred. I even remember to this day, it's 168 bucks back then, and that equates to like 420 in or 415 in today's money yeah. uh, to buy the thing. But I love that knife, especially the lure that it's a wilderness survival and the seal allure and everything. This is all pre-internet, you know. But for, for Buck to sell 50,000 plus uh, units, uh, uh, and it, it, the original reason it was made was for uh, 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 a delivery to the SEAL teams that they ended up taking delivery after they finally got the final um, go-ahead after it was released to the public. And and that was uh, CJ pushing that uh, with his, his dad and the factory people. It was real tough for them to build it. Um uh, to put it together, I, all the processes. Matter of fact, I have a special one here I wanted to show. Sure. Um, this this it was a gift to me when I was fifty year old, years old from Commander Culture. Okay, and it's one Look of the only that. all all titanium. It's Look so light that. I can't tell you. Um, the pins beautiful. are titanium on the inside. If, if everybody knows how these are built. There's threads up to here, and then there's a bolt that that goes into it, and then they would put like a, a, a epoxy and dabble it straight down to make it waterproof. Uh, this particular one, even the bolt is handmade out of uh, titanium. It was non-magnetic. We were talking about magnetic, and it's super hard to put an edge on uh, on this this uh, titanium alloy. It's it's beyond. And it's solid titanium. It's not censured like the uh, the model uh, 186, which was uh, knife of the year uh, uh, titanium. Uh, but it's just amazing. And it had this one was made in 19 uh, uh, 1984 by hand and heat treated by Paul Boss. Okay, 
his boss would still hate treat. Now notice, see the anchors had to twist. Yeah. In here too. Yeah. Okay, that's the original way that that fuck. Um, uh, that's the original prototype. They had the shelving. Yeah, and the reason was for being right-handed, the anchors wouldn't cut in your hand. Now the current, uh, the Buckmaster actually the anchors did ended up cutting into your hand, especially guys with bigger hands. But everything else was there. Um, uh, Commander Poulter did an upgrade that I thought was amazing. Uh, a diamond sharpening stone. So that, that makes sense. And then the sheath itself was handmade too. It's two-piece clamshell. And that was also handmade by uh, Harry Kampheisen and Bob McDonald. Bob McDonald made this blade. And he was originally told by uh, uh, Chuck, in fact, that hey, had you know, he did it on a lathe back in the day, right? And and he said that, well, we, I don't think we can do that. And the the uh, uh, Buck engineers figured out how to do it finally, but it was super tough. To, how many of the titaniums were made? Uh, uh, titanium. This this is the only I've heard from Leroy Reamer at Triple R Knives, who used to be at the custom shop. And CJ's uh, part at Buck was actually the custom shop. That was his very first job. And uh, he was doing that. And that's why Harry Kampheisen uh, uh, of, of uh, uh, Jerry's Pawn Shop is the name of this place. But he worked with Mickey Finn and was a partner. Um, and they were discussing these ideas in, in a bar. And uh, perfect place. Uh, yeah, perfect place. And uh, and long story short, that that ended up going directly to CJ. And uh, I was told specifically again from Leroy that uh, he thought there's 25, but I think that's incorrect. Um, not the way this thing was made. And Rick McDonald said that he remembers only one with the all titanium blade because there were a few that because Rick McDonald, Bob's son. Um, he actually made the the uh, the uh, anchors and the handle and the lanyard and the pommel, you know, and the cross guard. Now, does that unscrew? But he says he, he yeah. Take it off. Uh, Let's yeah, see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's see it. So yeah. for our, there's a few, our listening there, audience, there's a few he is that, unscrewing the uh, oh, the pommel. Sorry, sorry. The hollow grip. And then there's a little. There's actually an old compass in it, and it still works. And it, and it works because it's not magnetic. Because it's titanium. Yep, it's titanium and it works. Yeah. But I, I was so honored to have this. You guys have no idea, especially being a 50-year-old nerd from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and on top of it, being blessed to sit here with uh, all you guys. And, uh, you know, I was just a kid when these guys were rocking and rolling. Commander Culture was saving uh, uh, thousands of Americans with people not even knowing it, and he'll use the millions silent, of Americans. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, let me ask you this, yeah, uh, millions, Commander. So millions. those had the hollow, the hollow handles. Um, what did what did you guys use them for? What did you use the hollow handles? For? <laughs> the the idea of the pinions, if you will, was developed uh, by me. When I was asked by uh, the folks uh, at Mickey Finn, you know, what, uh, what did I think about the operational requirement? And as I said before, nothing gets built without an operational requirement. And what Chuck Buck, CJ's dad did, 
is he simply responded to an inquiry of which there were, I can't remember, half a dozen candidates uh, that that were going to try to produce this knife. And the Buckmaster uh, was, was declared the winner. The pinions represent twofold. Uh, at the time, I had recently come from a sealed delivery vehicle uh, platoon, and I knew that two of these knives with these pinions would uh, anchor uh, a, a bottomed-out sealed delivery vehicle, or one of the knives anchored would uh, retain your swim gear from floating away. So once you got up on the beach, you knew where to come to get to find it to get back. So that's the reason. The other reason that it's reversible um, is because you can repel with it. In other words, you can, you know, that that's you have the capability to put a carabiner in there and then you can wedge it however you'd like to wedge it and you can repel with it. Mm. Interesting. As you can, as you can with the combat diver uh, knife itself, that was one of the requirements that uh, that didn't change. Fortunately, yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna get into the two I just kind of want to give our listeners a little brief history of of the uh, the one eighty four, the Buckmaster, uh, just in general, and just kind of how it went from this to where it evolved to, because it's it's really a completely different knife. Um, for all in, yeah, and, and and that was the intention. Yeah, uh, you have to look at the the Buckmaster one uh, one eighty four as a make do knife. It does everything pretty well, but you know it's not specifically a designed to be the precise surgical tool for a specific task. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it's still a make-do knife. You, you're you using it. And there are, you know, many of the fixed-blade knives that are out there are um, make-do knives. But when I had very little to do with anything except for those pinions, and um, it was interesting when I saw the prototypes, the first prototypes, I said... That's going to be a very interesting general purpose knife. I said, but it's not necessarily going to be the best diving knife, which at the time I was doing a lot of seal delivery vehicle work and, and diving was what I did every day. Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea that the pinions were multi-purpose uh, was always the goal. Right. In other words, you could, repel with it, you could anchor with it, you could do all kinds of stuff with it. And, you know, when when I was asked by uh, the folks at Qualitech, um, what did I think of the operational requirement? I said, well, listen, I, I can't even comment on that. I said, you know, that is, that's a government document, and I, I, I'm unable to comment on it, and I wouldn't want to be accused of giving anybody any advantage. I said, but they said, what would you do? What would you do or what is not in the operational requirement? And the answer is 
there was no anchoring system. And the anchoring system was added on and, uh, you know, the rest is sort of history. Yeah. So again, back to the hollow, the hollow round grit, why round, why hollow? Well, if you want to, if you're a combat swimmer and you have to take demolitions with you, you know, the hollow handle will take two blasting caps and those blasting caps uh, are necessary to detonate. Someone's got to have them. And they weren't always easy to transport when you're swimming in to cap into a line. Yeah. So this simplified that, but it, it was good for any numbers of things. Sure. You know, you could, you know, if you got the right cigarette lighter, I suppose that would work in there too. Matches, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But whatever it was, it was going to be waterproof. And that's the important thing about that. Yeah. And that was clearly one of the features I wanted uh, have the blade function in the same capacity. I knew after a prototype, we built a prototype hollow handle blade, but it was just going to be prohibitively expensive to uh, reproduce. Mm -hmm. So the requirement for a waterproof hollow handle uh, was eliminated. And that's why you're looking at a, a flat-sided knife now. But, I mean, anybody who's held the prototype that I have uh, that was manufactured by Doug Olson, you know, it just has the right kind of feel, much like the uh, 184. The 184 has the right kind of feel. It has the right kind of grip. The Kiltec KSG 410 is the perfect sidekick with no kick. At just over an inch and a half wide, just over 26 inches long, and just over five pounds, you'll be hard pressed to find a more impressive 410 bore shotgun. In fact, it's the world's first and only pump action 410 bore bullpup shotgun. The side-by-side -side dual feeding tubes and one in the chamber delivers an impressive 11 round total capacity, making it as functional as it is fun. Innovation, performance, Kiltec. Very good. So again, you know, I want to kind of compare and contrast the two to where we are today. So I guess it's a good time to segue over into, you know, 55 years in the in the making to the uh, the 2.0 here. So who who wants to start us off on kind of the, you know, where this got its life from? Yeah, yeah uh, I think you meant Tom's uh, insurance, though. Okay. Let me take that one on. Okay. The, the 2.0, uh, once we provided CJ with uh, the results of what we called a technical evaluation, I had four or five prototypes. We evaluated them weight and length and thickness and hardness and all the other stuff it was apparent that the blade shape was going to be the defining aspect of this knife. And that's, as you can see, the blade shape is substantially different than the 184. Yeah. So once the blade shape, which was sort of a, a result of a uh, mixture of ideas that I had with Victor Bortuno, uh, 
that blade shape became my objective. In other words, a, a spear point blade shape was, was what I was fixed on because, you know, the knife, what that knife is going to be used for mostly if it's in the hands of a combat swimmer or a diver, this is going to cut stuff. It's going to cut string. It's going to cut kelp. It's going to cut all kinds of rope, you know, and it's going to be used to pry stuff, probably an abalone or two if you're not careful. <laughs> but the, the idea here is that you have to have a blade that's thick enough, tough enough, and, and sharp enough to function, but it also has to do the job that you're going to do it with. You know, the everybody's everyday carry knife is used to open boxes. Hardly ever, you know, that's what that's what people use them. Clean their fingernails out. And clean their fingernails <laughs> out. But anyway, the this came about. The interesting point with this knife is the first prototype that CJ uh, and, and Buck Knives produced was uh, what we call the pre-production prototype. And it was a beautiful piece of kit. And CJ pretty much autographed all of them. There was 38 of them made. And I tested them. I tested them operationally. I tested them in the water. I tested them cutting through stuff. And after the what could be considered an operational evaluation, made some recommendations to CJ about different aspects of the knife. And Victor reshaped uh, the handle. And we sort of gave that information back to uh, CJ. And to his credit, you know, he incorporated pretty much all of the changes and improved on other aspects of the blade. So the basically the ultimate product is a combination of the pre-production prototype evaluation and CJ's interpretation. And he produced uh, several prototypes. And, uh, and the rest of it, it's, it's, it's fundamentally history. Yeah. Uh, oh, Rich, yeah. hold up the um, the two side by side, if you would, and the handles. Show the show the difference in the handles. The but the the aspect of it is you need to understand that once the anchor is attached to the combat diver two, it's it's a completely different knife, and I mean it has different purposes. The purpose of an anchor and the purpose to repel with remain the same, but it changes the weight and balance and feel of the blade. So once you put that that device in and you snap it into place, you know that's a completely different knife than the 184. Completely different, right? And it anchors differently. Now, how did you how did you come about this design versus the? I did not come up with the design. I came up with the requirement, yeah. and CJ's staff came up looking at all of the elements necessary 
said, you know, this will probably work. Uh, the original one that was sent for the pre-production prototype had a screw, thumb screw, that you screwed in and screwed up. Yeah. But that doesn't. That has a cam, and that really makes it much easier. So as I put my diving gloves on with the first pre-production prototype and got in the pool, I realized that I wasn't going to fumble around enough to get the blade to get the anchor on or off. So we recognized that that had to be addressed, and CJ's team came up with what I consider to be an excellent uh, design for what was to be done. Now, that requires more parts doing it the way that you did it, uh, CJ. Was that a consideration in, in production, the screw versus the, the plunger? That we've got here. Oh yeah, no, all, that, that's the whole manufacturability. The beauty of this exchange, as as you're talking with Commander, the beauty of this exchange is having access to that expertise. So the the how this knife is going to be used is not our expertise. So for our ability to tap into someone who has that expertise, says this is exactly what I needed to do, we then can look at it and go, this is the best way we can deliver that capability. In a, in a very sustainable quality, you know, something we can stand behind. And that was the issue with the screw is it, it, the, the screw was something that as you tightened it, you, you secured it. So it was always going to be secure, but it turned out not to be as functional as needed in the field because the screw was too small to deal with, with gloves. So the, 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 the spring loaded attachment there is not as tight. It's not as, I'm going to say, it's not as flawless a solution in the field as far as holding that anchor in place, but yet it does a perfectly good job while allowing someone with gloves to use it. So you're, you're always trying to balance the, the, what's the thing, the, the great with the good or the, you know, yeah, the, don't you let compromise. perfect be the enemy yeah. of the good. You're, you're always trying to balance that. To get in the, the best of all center. worlds. Yeah. Kind of deal. Um, Commander, the so the ORs for this versus the original one, um, how how did they change? What what differed in in the ORs? Uh, the original OR uh, talked about a it didn't specify a blade design, but it it sort of led the reader to a clip tip sort of blade. It did discuss a hollow handle and survival, uh, the ability to put survival uh, materials in there, whether it's medicine or, you know, whatever. Right. And the, the second generation operational requirement, which I developed for the Buckmaster 2.0 um, was fundamentally similar to that, but the serrations were better defined. And the, the sharpness of the blade and the areas to be sharpened uh, were better defined. And that made things a bit easier for CJ and his team to 
go forward and and take that vision and put it into <coughs> effect. So CJ, when you got the, do you have the original ORs? Um, sitting here, no, we not, do have them. Not here. for this, but for the original, the one eighty four. For the original Buckmaster. Yeah, that would be interesting to look at those and then compare them to. I wonder if we have those somewhere. Well, I know you have the ones in, in, in Rich's book. Maybe. Oh, you got them in the book, Rich? I know that he has it for the Mark Nine bayonet. Uh, yes, he has that in hand. Yeah, because that was a uh, that got to be slightly political, uh, from my understanding. I wasn't involved with the Mark Nine bayonet at all, but I understood it got to be slightly political, and there were. I don't know how many companies that bid on it, but uh, the extensive tests uh, that were run on that on that Mark Nine, um, nice, are pretty impressive. I mean, it holds up. But you see, it's a blade not unlike the uh, Buckmaster One Eighty Four, right? In in appearance. But it's less severe of a clip tip, and it's it's just I think of it as an excellent predecessor to the 2.0. Yeah, now we, it's we, got a... we we learned an enormous amount about heat treat because one of the things that when you when you get these operating requirements, a lot of them are dichotomies in writing. So it needs to be light but heavy. It needs to be flexible but stiff. It need, and so you're you're all you're trying to balance almost these two. You're trying to balance these two opposites and get the best common ground between those two extremes, and and providing a product that's that's uh, not overly as as reference something Tom mentioned earlier, not overly specific to a, to one use, but more more general in design, thus more generally applicable across a broad. It may not be the perfect tool for anything, but it's the best tool for everything that you could have with you. So you're always trying to balance that. So with the, uh, but we learned a lot about heat tree uh, when it came to uh, uh, when it came to the bayonet and 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 satisfying all of the different requirements that that uh, that they put out. Did you take those lessons learned from that and apply those to the 2.0? Oh, very much so. I mean, it's, you know, when you think about stories you hear from stuff developed for NASA that, that ends up in your microwave, yeah. that type of thing, <laughs> you, 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 the military really drives a lot of extreme design because of what they're facing. And so then you, as you push yourself to accomplish some of those, you know, out of the, out of the mainstream deliverables, uh, you, you do now take those lessons learned and apply them to your other basic product. Yeah. So a, another thing that evolved with along with the knife, um, you know, was obviously the the scabbard, the sheath, yep. um, as well. And, and is that part of the ORs too, or is that just something that after you get the the ORs for the knife and you start designing the knife, then you design the the sheath around the knife kind of deal? Well, I've, you know, I looked at the sheath and my discussions with CJ and, and his, uh, 
and his staff was, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be able to get in salt water and be easily maintained. And that tended to put us in the area of Kydex. And I also indicated, unlike the 184, that you can put the pinions in the handle. Here, we have to have some way that you can access this. And the, the final product uh, exceeds my expectations in its usability. It's, uh, it's very usable and easy to access. And, you know, I found it to be just spot on for what we needed. Yeah. So I, I, and there's actually some usability within the sheath itself. Uh, you've, you've got this uh, hole that you've put through the sheath that I'm assuming that would allow you to deploy the anchor, use the anchor while sheathed. Anybody want to comment on that? That that that's specific for the military only. The civilian versions will not have that. Wow. Um, my son AJ uh, actually came up with that. So it goes in there. The whole idea was to be able to deploy the emergency anchor wing, which, by the way, the original uh, Buckmaster uh, pins uh, anchoring system could hold uh, two hundred and fifty pounds, and this is rated over four hundred. Okay, ah. but. Good the cool enough. part is like this. Look, so I, I, I'm I uh, am not completely taking off the backing. I can just move it enough, and then you can literally, right there, you have emergency grapple, okay, that you can attach a carabiner in line to, and the ability to not get cut. Um, uh, the other, the original Buckmaster. Uh, did not necessarily have that ability. And this, if they did it with this, it was, uh, oops, if they did it with this, it was more bulky. Uh, but, but this is a very unique way. And the anchoring system also doesn't bump into your hand if you notice that part. So that, that's a big deal. But yeah. this is really, uh, it's again for emergency. And, uh, one of, uh, one of our SEAL friends coined that, that name, the emergency anchor wing, because he felt it should be used only in emergency. Yeah. Um, you say it's then, not going to be in the civilian is, version. Why is it not going to be yeah, in the, the civilian version? Well, we don't want anybody to cut themselves. Uh, the original one that my son and I uh, uh, made, which I should have brought that sh that uh, scabbard slash sheath, uh, was a lot wider. But they're worried somebody's going to clip their, the tip of their finger off. They called ours the On cigar what? cutter. I mean, it's, it's sheathed. Right, right they're not going to cut their fingers. I know. I know it, it's not, I'm just saying, yes, I'm just smiling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, welcome but, but to the world of again, corporate liability. Yeah. But see, th this is mm. again for the military, the civilian version, it will be blocked in like that. So you won't have the ability to actually deploy it unless you, you modify it, then it's on you. See? So it is what it is. I got a but word for that, cool but I'm idea. not going to say it. <laughs> It's a cool idea. Corporate liability. And, you, um, you summed it up. Good enough there, CJ. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and another cool thing is this sheath is proudly made in the USA. Every single little piece of this sheath is made in the United States and New York um, with uh, DeSantis gun hide. 
Um, they're so excited. The DeSantis family is it, from Gene on down to his sons. They're so happy and honored to be a part of this. And uh, they uh, they are just, I cannot tell you how excited they were to just be a part of this situation and uh, uh, the history. Well, let me ask uh, you this. Something else I wanted to point. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, point it out. Yeah. You're on a roll. Yes. Keep going. Something else I wanted to, uh, well, I want to point something else out on the heat treat processes, okay? Sure. On um, the original Buckmaster, just when they were, were shipping them out in November 1984, um, <clears throat> they had 500 of them, and they heard ting, ting, and, and they didn't know what the heck's going on. It turns out that the, the area where they screw the blade onto the hollow handle was blowing up because it was too uh, tempered too hard. So Paul Boss had to literally get the blades and he he annealed them back which made the, the the steel more soft in that area so they wouldn't be so fragile <laughs> he spent yep. he told me spent all weekend to do 500 of them and then they changed that process ironically and i want to point this out on the the the, the pre-production prototypes it wasn't holding an edge and um uh commander coulter can verify that i kept uh, uh, five, five or six blades back purposely to have it heat treated with Paul Boss's recipe. What happened was um, the heat treater, uh, Paul Farner, who replaced Paul Boss, had COVID and he was out. So the whoever was uh, actually the Buck in, engineers at the time just heat treated it like a normal um, uh, a 420. But Paul Boss wrote a special heat treat formula that uh, uh, world-famous Joe Hauser, custom knife maker, and CJ's brother-in-law said that this steel reacts more like uh, ATS-34. He, he, he was in S-30V. He was shocked. So this is the first time in Buck history that they have Boss. It says Boss with a flame and HC. They've never done that for their proprietary because this blade has so many more processes in it for the heat tree. And um, Paul also got to that level. I mean, he's amazing. He even helped Ruger. Um, <clears throat> Ruger was having a problem with 45s, and their new 45 slide was cracking, and they found out that he retired from Buck, and he moved to Prescott, Arizona at the time, and they hired, uh, they hired him specifically to be able to heat treat, and all these young engineers were like, no, no, you can't do it that way. He solved Ruger's 45 slide problem in like a matter of hours. Um, he did it in one day and he got a special sum of money and they made him a special 45, which I told him I'd like to buy from him one day just because of his abilities. But I like the way you the say same, that. He got a special he, sum of yeah, money. <laughs> so yeah. So before that, he, he did the same thing on this one. There's different, different heat treat formulas. I utilize heat treating this particular blade. So some parts are harder, some parts are softer, you know, um, it's just amazing what he did. So this technology and his wonderful heat treat and Buck has always been known to have higher quality than anybody else for their even basic knives because of the heat treat formula. It's yeah. how much he brought it out. But Paul saved our Buckmaster project also which I thought it was really interesting that sure. he did that back in 1984. And then here we are, you know, fast forward now in uh, 2021, he redid the heat treat and, and made it spectacular. So um, we have 
uh, a test that Commander ran that were wonderful. And uh, he, he, he said, hey, this is perfect. And that was you know, one I, of the- Levy, I want to add something to that story uh, in that when, when you talk about using the 420HC steel, the, that steel has baked into it an enormous amount of corrosion resistance. Which is which is one of the key when when you're talking about a diving knife, that's a key factor is is the corrosion resistance. So the yeah. what Paul was able to do for us was give us a heat treat process that enabled that steel to maintain its corrosion resistance, but also perform like a much higher carbon steel that would have a lot less corrosion resistance. So the again tweaking those extremes. Uh, we were able to produce a knife that still maintained the ability to not rust, uh, but outperform what what uh, what we used to do. And and so that heat treat process is now starting to work its way through a lot of other products we make as well. So another thing that's um, you know maybe people may not think about, but this is a full tang knife. The 2.0 is a full tang where the the original 184 was not and just that alone the strength and durability that you're getting by this being a full tang yeah versus the other which sounds like some of the ors where it needed to be more uh utilitarian you know to be yeah. more versatile and more tool-like as commander said earlier it's a it, it's a, it's a bit of a pry bar so this one happens to be a pry bar you can shave with if you need to <laughs> right yeah, or cook your hot dog, whatever you need to do. But, uh, you know, that's something that I really like about this new version, too, is is the full tang. It's it's thick. It's a, you know, it's a robust thickness. I like that. Um, I also like the fact that you didn't go with a round handle again, um, yeah. which I don't guess you could do full tang. Yeah, this was, I'm going to show you. So this is a, 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 a 3D you know, oh, a 3D printed plastic Neat. version. So we, so so you make the drawings, and now you and now you print out a version, and you can see how it feels. And so this was the, you know, part of the, part of the driver for how we, how we manufacture, how we dialed in the shape of this because it it needed to be, you know, one of the operating requirements, if I don't, if I recall correctly, is you had to be able to orient up and down on the knife so it couldn't it it, it, it you, you didn't want just a a universal handle you wanted to be able to feel up and down you wanted to know exactly up where your down, serrations were where the where your edge was in the dark when you when you're struggling to tell i, I i've never dove in this in the scenarios that the commander has but i growing up in san diego i i was a diver and uh you know there are times i was a surfer as well so there are times when you can't tell up from down yeah. And uh, uh, so it, it wasn't. It was one of those important, important elements. Yeah. And I dive too, and this would be, you know, this is a great dive knife right here. I would. I can yeah, just, just, but also, it's illegal to pry abalone off with something well, with an edge. So <laughs> keep that in mind. I just won't tell anybody How about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to spill the beans on that. Um, so talk about, you know, with. Because we've got a diverse background here that that came to make this, so we got you know an expert on the the consumer side. We got an expert on the military side, you know, that came together to to help make this produce this beautiful uh, combat diver knife. So, 
Talk about the the synergy that you guys coming together brought to this design. Yeah, I'll, I'll start this one. Um, and, and I had mentioned it earlier about, you know, knowing what your expertise is and what it isn't. And, uh, and then if, if you, if you, if you allowed, if, if you ever talk to my wife, for me, it's knowing when to talk and when to listen. <clears throat> but, uh, so with, in, in this regard, you know, we knew how to manufacture. We, we needed the input of, you know, what is the perfect dive nut? And, and who better to ask than someone with a passion of, Product development, which Commander brings, is is there there is that uh, that background, the the innovation, the the changes in seal practices, you know, there there the uh, there is that passion for innovation, but there's also and then a deep understanding of how it's used, and when you that is an amazing resource to tap into. Uh, we had, uh, from a consumer side, we then had uh, Dr. Nyman here, who brings the passion and energy of about six people into into every room he enters, you know. And then, and then from a buck standpoint, we had the you know the heat treating expertise and experience, the machining expertise and experience. You know, we we are very good at turning out one product after another that functions. And, and it is going to deliver and the, the material integrity, the design integrity, the, the, the consistency of manufacture, you know, the, so, so it was like bringing the opportunity to tap into those three uh, areas and drive all of that focus into a, you know, a laser beam of a product uh, is, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Now, were there any uh, headbutting moments between the consumer side and the military side? No, I don't. You know, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because, you know, Buck has a lineage of dealing with the military and understands. You know, it's not a new language to them when we start talking about operational requirements. And based on my experience. I know what you can ask for. It's, it's sort of like what you must have and what you'd like to have. Yeah. And what you must have is basically the operational requirement. And, you know, aesthetically and bells and whistles, uh, it might be nice to have, but you've got to have the core of the, the capability of the blade shape, the handle, the anchor. I, I mean, these are these are fundamental elements that are it's indisputable. And Buck caught on to that very quickly because they had experience doing it. And so there was I would I don't remember any headbutting. Uh, I certainly remember cooperation. I certainly remember uh, encouragement, but you know, not this wasn't an adversarial development. Oh, sure. This was a, this was a development uh, of people with a common goal and a common purpose to produce something better than existed. Sure. 
And and I know that Rich has a lot of ideas, and um, I was just wondering if maybe there was something that you know you really wanted, Rich, but maybe it didn't it didn't make it because I understand that I'm sure the uh, operational yeah, so requirements funny. supersede but, everything. Yeah. So originally, I wanted the saw teeth, okay, and I wanted the hollow handle, but um, and like uh, Commander said uh, that. Uh, Doug Olson made the DO1, which was the ultimate um, copy of the original Buckmaster with the hollow handle, one-piece steel. But I showed CJ at my house originally, and he's like, I love this knife. He says, but we can't produce it. Again, it goes to the manufacturing. We can't produce it. It's going to cost too much. And Commander Coulter, I mean, literally, you're not going to saw, very rarely in an occasion, are you going to actually saw wood underwater right because we wanted to build commander Coulter the best dive knife ever produced because i remember not bragging but saying gosh i've been thinking about this knife since 1985 and he laughed it says i mean he beat me by you know 20 plus years that he's been thinking about it since his buds class 40 back in 1967 a year before i was even born and that's why after the buckmaster the original buckmaster was made and produced um he asked uh, a friend of his to build uh, uh, a special dive knife for him and ironically and i want to mention this because i don't believe there's any such thing as a coincidence okay we all have been around long enough that we don't it just things happen for a reason and that that special knife had you know a spear point and believe it or not in the handle right here it had this. It didn't have the skull crusher, you know, but it had this. And, and the Buck engineers came up with this handle by themselves. So it was so cool to see that old knife from 1986. That's when about the time mid-80s is when he had that knife custom built, one of a kind. Um, and they matched. So uh, uh, it's just just really cool how everything came together. Me, I'm Mr. Ra Ra, right? I, I do the swag. I make the hats. I got Commander's logo, you know. And the reason for this logo is there's a few reasons to look at it, okay? Um, first of all, you have the combat swimmer slash diver. You have the trident representing the seals because you can't legally use the um, Budweiser any longer, the, the, the bowing eagle. Uh, it has our knives. Yeah, thank you. It has our knives. And it has a giant squid for our love for Jules Verne, 20,000 uh, Leagues Under the Sea, the books, not necessarily the movie. For me, more the movie because I was that guy. But that's why this. Kraken. Yeah, the Kraken. This encapsulates the allure of the deep and the, the danger and the heroes of the seals with Trident. And to me, Commander Coulter is a hero. I, I, uh, I, today's a, a special day for me in a sense. It's my, would have been my late father's, um, uh, 81st birthday. And, uh, I am so pleased that this is the day that you picked to do this because, uh, he was, he blessed the, the original, uh, Buckmasters, all of them that were made, the prototypes in this, this group. And he blessed the very first ones that Buck made for us. And on, on December 2nd, December 3rd, Commander Coulter got a FedEx package of a few. I delivered the rest on December 11th, uh, somewhere, uh, uh, to him, uh, uh, some being the heat treated ones by, by, uh, with the boss heat treat and, <coughs> excuse me. And 
uh, my father passed away on the 12th. So um, we have been, you know, we're Buck Knives is extremely good Christian company. You know, you read their, their, uh, they just have such a, a wonderful uh, reading and they, it's just a good company. And uh, we pray also. And being a Greek Orthodox, living in a church camp since I was a kid, that's why I was running around. And I thought it was fitting for, for my dad to bless the knives. And there's an old ancient blessing from the 300s in Byzantium to protect the warriors fighting against evil and blessing them. And they, you know, it's just really cool. But I don't mean to sidetrack too much, but th- no, that's why this is awesome just such a history. thing. And yeah. um, I believe that that. Yeah, I, I believe that this this is actually blessed because this knife, this tough, tough knife is designed specifically to protect our military and also our civilians. It's just amazing. And there's not a dive knife in the world that has anything like this. We do have a, 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 a provisional patent specifically for the anchor. It, and there's also something else I want to point out right here on the anchor. Right on the inside, there's a tiny little flathead screw because there's a ball bearing here to tighten it up. For the seals, not necessarily do you want it tight, but civilians like it tight. It's funny, when we were showing CJ it the first time, he's like, it's, it's too loose because it's wiggly. And civilians don't like it wiggly, but if you have all kinds of particles in, in, in sand in different things, you'd want it looser. But what an ingenious idea. Look how fast it is to, to take this out and then reverse it. You know, if there's no coral to hook on, you can plug it in the sand. I mean, that was the whole idea is to just be – and it's pure physics. It's so strong here that this this special attachment here, that's just to stabilize it. Because honestly, if you broke that and you were still holding on to something, it, it wouldn't pop out because it has to – it's pure physics. It has to – literally go down to get out that's the, the strengths right here and this is also made out of a uh, 420 and every single little piece on this blade everything's made here in in idaho by wonderful americans that work hard and they take pride in america that's why it's so neat to see you know uh usa this this one this particular one is uh uh uh, uh the second type of prototype that that we changed but here i'll show you um here is the Buck Collectors. Um, huh, okay, here's the Buck Collectors one, um, and and uh, see right here it says USA, of course, and here too. But on on the Collectors version, it's not double edged, so the civilians will not be getting a double edged. Only the military. So, but rub it in. You can see it's the same same right there. See how. There's, there's no edge in the top. Um, that's going to be the civilian version. And at Blade, or excuse me, at SHOT Show this year. Commercial litigation um, again, CJ? Introduce... What... <laughs> the damn those civilians just don't know how to handle a knife, do they? <laughs> no. Sounds well, like the government. That. Protect it's us the from damn, ourselves. It's the damn, it's, listen, it's the damn liberal laws. Buck would be happy to put a double edge on this thing. But there's a lot of states that will not allow this to have a double edge. And that's why damn those states, damn, damn those liberals, damn those states do it anyway. (laughs) Uh, 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 There's, there's going to be, there's going to be, there's going to be markings on it to say 40th anniversary. Uh, I don't know exactly how or what, but the most important marking besides saying USA on there and buck is, is 
having Paul bosses, you know, knowing that he came out of retirement to do this for us as a favor to Commander Coulter and to and and we are honored to have him come out of retirement uh, to do that and write the perfect heat treat formula. It costs way more to make this blade because of that heat treat formula. It takes longer in the, the, the facilities. It's super tough to get this special grind that we came up with. But the one that you were asking me what I would have liked to see happen is I'd like to see the next version of this with this thickness all the way up to here, but actually to the tip. So it's super strong and have the Talon, which is the model, the Buck model 808 saw teeth that has relief on that with the same actual handle, not necessarily this. We'll yep. figure that out. But we're not allowed to but talk about that because that's handle. a new product idea. Oh, well, sorry. I'm not going to edit well, that out. You can see, you can see how difficult it is to maintain Rich's energy levels up. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I mean, he's, he's on a roll. I was going to let him run out of energy before I interrupted him, but to hold, to hold this, to hold this in my hand, is yeah. such an amazing thing. I can't tell you from all these drawings that we've been throwing back and forth to myself for years before we actually approached Buck officially. And um, uh, Bob started it with us. And poor Bob McDonald, he was the original uh, uh, machinist, master machinist for Frobus. He did this blade, you know. And he was an older gentleman. And he built a sawtooth uh tanto and he built that was the very first one and then he built a sawtooth spear point that had an anchoring style system and the handle was more like the old model 185 with the rib, rivets you know the the finger grooves in it right. uh but then bob passed passed away and it kind of went on standby for a while and ironically in 2019 uh actually that's uh, when we met you uh, uh lefty officially in 2019 Commander Coulter and myself stumbled onto Doug Olson, who was also part of Robus, and Commander uh, uh, wrote an operational requirement for this new one. And Doug gladly made the DO one, which was the hollow handle. With it's just amazing. It didn't have saw teeth, but it had the same teeth as the old 1911 of dive knives, the Mark V. So on one whole side, it had these fine saw teeth or fine uh, uh, teeth to. Cut um, line. Rich well, is so fast the internet can't keep up with him. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm going to dial you back a little bit because we got to get moving here because I want to get to listener questions I'll, I'll too. Attention business owners. Are you ready to take your marketing game to the next level? Look no further than Black Tie Digital Marketing, the firearm friendly, full service agency that delivers results. We've worked with industry giants like Keltec, Spikes Tactical, and Armalite, and we even designed the kick ass new logo at Talking Lead. At Black Tie, we blend creativity and data-driven strategies to ensure your message hits the mark every time. From high-end custom websites, graphic design, to inbound marketing campaigns, and everything in between, we've got you covered. Your success is our priority. Join the ranks of the industry's top players and give your business the boost it deserves. Experience the power of Black Tie today. Visit blacktiedigital.com or call one 800 316-8030 to schedule your free consultation. That's Black Tie Digital Marketing, where firepower meets marketing power. Black Tie Digital Marketing is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. So, um, okay, I'm done. I'm something done. I'm, I'm interested done. in is um, the the testing that went behind this uh, and you know, the hands of the people that you put it in and, you know, kind of the, 
you know, what are some of the tests that it was put through to get to where we're at? The testing was uh, done by me, and it was basically what they call an operational evaluation. And what I did is I got about 30 or 40 pieces of different line, cable, monofilament, the things you would run into in the water. Right. And we had a team of four do the evaluation. We had uh, a doctor, uh, actually an emergency room doctor. He did the cutting. Hmm. And he did the cutting because I wanted to have it done by somebody who was experienced in cutting. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Victor do the uh, sharpening and determine that every single cut was you know, adequate and sufficient. We had another gentleman who was the scribe, and I was the, sort of the director. And it, you know, it took us a half a day. And we uh, provided the results to uh, CJ and his team. Um, And and I felt, you know, you could have it do a lot of things, but my idea for an operational evaluation for a combat diver's knife is not for underwater sword fighting, is for getting yourself out of situations that require a sharp blade. And that's generally entanglement. You know, and or some other form of entanglement. So the testing was that. The technical evaluation was uh, simply the four prototypes that uh, Bob McDonald and Doug Olson provided. I had two other knives, one from Victor's uh, or mine from Victor, and the uh, pre-production prototype. And I basically just took all the characteristics: weight, size all of that stuff. But it, it was what I considered to be well-tested. And the results were provided to CJ and his team, mm-hmm. and they went forward with that. Now, did you do any um, any bending test? Yep. What did, how did you do, perform the bending test? Well, the way you do a bending test is that's the piece that is set you're going to bend it, you know, where's the elastic range end and the plastic range begin, and then where does it part? I wasn't necessarily high on breaking a blade off, but you could tell that the tip was equally strong as as midway down the blade. And you could... I have a vice on my workbench, mm-hmm. and we bent it uh, till I felt comfortable, and then it re, you know, it came back into its normal condition. I didn't want to do any destructive testing on it, okay, because it just didn't make any sense at the time. But it will bend, you know, and uh, it. it that's not the problem, you know. And Victor, uh, I had him do the bending on it uh, because 
you know, he's a craftsman and he's experienced in doing that. And he felt that it was uh, appropriately magnified. Okay. The, CJ, did you guys do any in-house test? You know, more the more the same, just to make sure that our processes are functioning and are consistent. That's more. That was more our testing. We also try and make sure that that we do fulfill what whatever requirements are made. So we have some edge retention testing machines, the catheter machine that we use, which which is a very abusive cutting. So it dulls a blade very quickly. So in a pretty short amount of time, you can tell if what you're doing is making a difference better or worse on on, it, on how it's retaining its edge. Right. We do a lot of rockwell testing. We do corrosion testing. Uh, so uh, and then we do some of these deflection, you know, because it's again, that's another uh, that's another one where this this material is not really designed to bend once you heat treat it. So there, there's a slight bit of deflection, but what you want it to be is tough enough that it can it can take an amount of weight prior to breaking, and and so if you're going to pry with something, you know you want to optimize how hard you can pry before that thing will snap, and so those are the tests that we do just to make sure that our processes are are functioning consistently and properly. Yeah. Well, how do you do the corrosion test? What's involved with that? We do a, there's a couple different things we do, but we kind of do a salt, a salt fog. Again, you're, you're trying to mimic, uh, uh, you're trying to mimic a longer time frame in a shorter period of time. Sure. So you're exaggerating an impact to get a read in a fairly short amount of time. And that's, uh, that's what we do. Okay. Let's go to some listener questions now. And today, in addition to our CL1 uh, CLP kit, which I don't have it handy, I do have a little bit of the CL1 here. Also great for cleaning your knives and protecting your knives from additional corrosion. Uh, CL1 and done. Uh, we're going to be giving away a kit of that. We're going to be giving away a Mission First Tactical, either a drinky drink or uh, a dump tray, or something for Mission First Tactical. Uh, and then Rich has so generously, again, like he did our last episode, he's going to be giving away his book, the Buckmaster book there, to one of you. Now, yeah, and this one's special, just real quick. It's number sure. one of 25 that I made for the Buck Collectors Club uh, with actual autographs, and here's the new knife. And here is the military... Um, a spec sheet and that's hand signed by commander Coulter oh, and wow. then the front sign of, uh, uh, that little part is signed by uh, uh, Joe Hauser, CJ Buck uh, and myself and then you can see it's it's number one of 25 but this is what a special listener is going to get I, I saved it and it has commander's logo with number one on it yeah. and uh, yeah yeah, so um, none of you listeners are eligible for that because I'm going to win that. <laughs> I'm going to take that one. Um, well, let's go to the uh, first question here. I'll start at the bottom, work my way up. This is from Behurst87. Have you had any compliments or complaints from the people that have had them in service so far? When are they going to be available publicly or are they already? Great question by Behurst. Who wants to fill that one? 
Well, we've handed out uh, a number of, of blades to operators. The feedback that we've gotten is all positive, no negative. And I don't know when they'll be uh, available commercially. Um, and I would assume it will be sometime after the SHOT Show, but I don't know. And, uh, you know, as far as that goes, there's probably at least 35 production models out there in the hands of operators that uh, have all provided positive feedback. So from a let me from a from a, a more availability standpoint. So we're doing a. So this was in uh, nineteen eighty four. So twenty twenty four. While it it will also be you know, President Trump's vic victory tour. Um, it's it's also going to be uh, the fortieth anniversary of from nineteen eighty four. So ah. so the the the, the one eighty four now becomes the o eighty four. 40 years later so we're celebrating that 40th anniversary nice. with uh with a with with right with i'm not sure what the final number is going to be yet but uh, somewhere between a thousand and thirteen hundred uh a special limited edition consumer version of the uh, of this knife so that will be the first run that thousand or so pieces coming and in then, 2024 uh, where it goes from there is going to depend on what feedback we get from our consumers very good. I'm looking forward to that. Tongue for twisting. What's the most unusual knife handle combo you've ever made? I assume this is directed to CJ. Okay. So what, what was the, what was the question? What's the most unusual knife slash handle combo that you've ever knife made? Knife handle combo. Yeah, the original Buckmaster played in there because that was completely different for us. Um. I don't know. Interesting question. We, you know, the, the we've done leather wraps, we've done molded wraps. You know, I will tell a story because as, as the one, you know, we, we can mold a lot of different things. One of the innovations that uh, that we did introduce to the to the marketplace was we were one of the first people to mold a rubber grip onto a knife, and we did that for our fillet knives. And, and, and where that idea came from was it, it was a material called Craton. And what that, where that idea came from was our VP of marketing at the time, Jim Bloom, came to us from the golfing industry. Ah. And so he <laughs> had a sense of grip when your hands are wet. Yeah. And if anybody who's played golf in, in a humid area, you know how important it is to not lose your club yeah. at, at the end of your swing. And so he introduced rubber handled knives so we were the first ones to do rubber handle knives i remember uh you know our 110 folding hunter which was the knife i first started making it as a as an employee we did a a vela a, a plastic handle version of that knife and that was another difficult decision to make because it didn't feel like a buck knife anymore yet it was amazingly lightweight functional you could drop it off a building and it wouldn't deform like brass would tend to right. be ruined if it took an impact like that yeah. anyway so, so so introducing new materials are, are probably the, the the most unique uh things we do okay lefty i'm going to have to pull chocks here 
um, I have another appointment I need to trottle off to. Okay, so something I, more important than than talking lead. I something understand. Something more important yep. than that. Nobody's got to go well, out Commander, there and we really that. appreciate your time today. So thank you so much. Um, and uh, I really am glad that uh, you got this out and produced and looking forward to, well, to it future. it would not have happened without CJ and Rich. So they deserve thank you. equal credit, if not more. But uh, thank you all again and stay safe. Okay. Thanks, Commander. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, so let's make, let's knock these out real quick. T Hayden eighty three says, "Love these episodes." As a former service member, my question is really based around durability. So it's a question posed to any of you who could speak from experience, which I think we're getting ready to lose our experience uh, with a two How tough is she? We kind of talked about that already. <laughs> Obviously, she looks great, and dare I say, iconic. <clears throat> Maybe even on par with my beloved K-Bar for looks. But seriously, how much abuse could it seriously take? As always, really looking forward to this um, and hope everybody's doing well. So we kind of answered that already on the durability. Yeah, let me, Lefty, really quickly I could say just from a knife standpoint, this knife is one of the, this knife as it's designed and as we've produced it is going to be one of the more tougher of the knives we've ever built. You mentioned earlier just the thickness of the tang, the the, the full tang. Uh, Commander mentioned earlier, or, or Rich did, on the the uh, the uh, you know not being a clip point, so that tip is stronger. Uh, it it it's not going to puncture as easily as a clip blade, but it's going to handle abuse a lot better. And so th- this knife is designed to be tough. The materials were chosen to be tough. The design itself was designed to be tough. So I would say this thing would outperform a lot of the other stuff we make just because of how it's designed. Yeah. It'll be tough. It'll be a tough knife. It is a tough um, knife. I, I, I got feedback that I, I won't mention names and stuff, but I know for a fact some active uh, in-service said it's the toughest knife, uh, dive knife that they've ever had in their lives. And coming from who these people were, uh, obviously in the elk of commander, it's amazing. So yeah, it's a tough knife. The, 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 it's a perfect dive knife. Uh, uh, really. I mean, and there's and no, hidden, there's no hidden made. features Everything's in it either. I mean, made. you can see how strong it is. Right. So there's, and that's yeah. the beauty of it. It's not complicated. And, 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 and if something's going to perform it, it needs it to be simple have, and not complicated. Yeah. It's very well balanced, but it has weight still. And obviously I've had people hold it. Gosh, it's a little lighter than what I was expecting, but it's heavy. Well, it's a dive knife. It's supposed to be heavy. Yeah. Look, looks out, Oki Coyotes. <laughs> what a name. Oh, lights out. Sorry. Lights out, Oki Coyotes. Got it. Um, given some of the knives are used by special operation forces, what has to be taken into account for metal material? Some will see use in various kinds of water or salt water. Uh, is salt water the biggest consideration? For this particular knife, it was. Uh, I'm not going to say that for every sense. For this particular knife, it was a huge reason why we chose that material. You know, the, you also have to decide how, how how important is edge retention, how important is prying, how important is uh, is just as a as a fighting shape. Like that. So depending upon your operating requirements, that's going to di- that could dictate a different choice. 
one of the things we work, one of the ways we differentiate between sometimes between consumers and military is there's an expectation of military that they will maintain their gear, that that's drilled into them, that they will right. maintain their gear. Uh, and consumers, a lot of times we have to really try and make that as easy as possible. The, the maintenance aspect If somebody who won't maintain their gear to a, to a certain level, we need to produce something that can survive with that lower level of maintenance. And so that, that sometimes will dictate our choices too of, of what materials are chosen. That was a good question. Uh, here's another saltwater. Let's see. Due to saltwater, I see that 425 stainless was picked. What is the Rockwell of the Buckmaster Dive Pro, and is it different than others? Okay, so it's it's 420 HC is is the steel, and the Rockwell we're the Rockwell we're going to get on this one. I want to say is 57 to 58 Rockwell C, uh, and uh, so that's for this particular material for us to get it any harder makes it too brittle get it any softer and it and it and it's noticeably not holding an edge so again you're balancing the ability to be ductile and be a pry bar but also be hard enough to hold an edge and that's one of the beauties of the Paul Boss newer heat treat process is it allowed us to get a little bit harder without losing that ductility very good. Do you have anything to add, Rich? Nope. Okay. Mustang Perry, what were uh, the reasons? Uh, it just oh. all I know is yeah. Okay. Uh, Mustang Perry, what were the reasons for changing the blade profile? I think we've answered these. What makes the pro, uh, this profile better than the other? So we've we've gone into that. We talked about that. Anything else you want to add to that? I did, you know, just losing the losing the serrations along the tip, which made the tip weaker on the original Buckmaster. So again, learning lessons based upon you put this thing out in the marketplace, and you get hundred a hundred thousand people putting it through its paces, and you get that feedback through our warranty program of what broke and what didn't. And so if we start if we get things back in our warranty program consistently, then we try and build an improvement into the next iteration of that design. So Commander wanted something with a much more stronger tip than the original uh, Buckmaster because that's how he was going to use it. That's how he saw it being used. Uh, and so the, the 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 profile of the blade really started with a diving knife profile, and and that where the other one was almost a buoy right. blade shape profile. Uh, so they just started from different places, and and that's how this one came to be. Uh, let's see. Pew Pew RN. Uh, come on, man. You got to ask better questions than this. I mean, <laughs> of course, we're going to talk about this stuff right here. You got you to do better than that, Pew Pew. Come on. What special design features does the Buckmaster have? I mean, he, he mailed these questions in. What are the spikes for? I mean, like we're not going to cover that right off the bat. All right. Next one. Ton Jones official. You guys know Ton? You met Tun yet? I think so. Oh, yeah. We got the tattooed bald head. Uh, <laughs> he's a character. He says, oh, yeah, here we go. First question is for everyone. What is your favorite EDC and why? Okay. So this is the 112 Slim Pro. 
It's S30V steel, which is one of my favorite steels. Uh, it's a great everyday carry. It's super light in my pocket. It's slim. It's a clip. I like to wear a knife. I like to wear a knife in my back pocket, not my front pocket. Yeah. So it's it's light. It's easy. It's easy to access, easy to open, easy to use. And uh, it's G10, so it's tough. Tough as nails. It's male female fastener for for the blade pivot, so it's so you can you can use it you can use it hard. It's not going anywhere. It's a super tough folder, and that's my everyday knife of carry choice right there. Very good, Rich. And it's got my name on it. <laughs> it's well, just, my last name anyway. I think they all do, don't they? <laughs> You're muted, Rich. How do you do that? I'm gonna have to remember how to do that. How to mute? I said. I said. I said. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> Okay. Um, I said, uh, and his autograph. I go, all, all my stuff's autograph. So I know what Commander Coulter carries. He also carries a 112. Uh, he has a G10 handle. Also, his blade is a, a drop point. And he, uh, uh, that's his absolute favorite because, again, it's just a small, nice knife. He, he had a, a buck 110 that, uh, during his service in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, Asia, uh, he ended up trading or giving the, a general, some other general from another uh, country at one time. And then he had one that he kept. But mine is uh, a one of a kind G10 handle, has a Punisher, uh, has RN. It has uh, Commander Coulter's autograph. So I had a, a seal trident laser. And it also has CJ, uh, his son Josh, um, and uh, Joe Hauser. And our little combat diver logo, but I like clip. It has clip and it's light and just very strong. Nice. No, uh, yeah. The blades S thirty B. Yeah. I don't know what this is called, CJ, but this is this is mine. Oh, that's this, one we did with. That's a collaboration tops. with Tops. We did. Yeah. This is this is my favorite EDC. I mean, I carry different ones all the time. I don't carry the same one every day, but I carry this one more than than I do others. Uh, just because yep, I like yeah. the the robustness of it, the thickness of the blade. It's a very sturdy, you know, I like the weight. It's got the, the glass breaker and it's got the seatbelt cutter on it and it's got the little yeah. the little screw tool on there. Phosphorus bronze washers between that blade and the handles. That's why it's so smooth. And that thing yeah. is just smooth. Yeah, it is. I like it. What Do you remember what it's called? I don't remember what it's called. It's Caesar. The Caesar. the Caesar, yeah, the Caesar T, yeah, yeah, it's right there, the yeah. Caesar T. I, yeah. I mean, I, I use it so much that's worn off. So, <laughs> <laughs> my yeah, second that, favorite that is that one, that little small one that you gave me at uh, NRA, the or min, was it Shot the Mini Shot? Deploy? It's, it was the Mini Deploy Blackout that CJ gave you. Is that what it was? Yeah, a little yeah, auto, it's automatic. Yeah, a little mini little, auto. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's my second. Yeah, favorite. that that's legal in California because the blade has to be less than two inches. Yeah, who so, cares about California? That's why real men leave California because you don't want to be limited by two <laughs> inches. <laughs> I mean, if that's all it takes, maybe some of us should move to California. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm... we could do movies. All right, next <laughs> next part of his question is. Uh, it says this is for CJ. On the Buckmaster, what is the steel and the grind of the 2.0? What's the grind? We talked about the steel. What's the grind? Oh, well, it's a hollow grind. 
Not okay. a flat grind. I, I, I'm assuming that's the question. Yeah. Uh, so it's hollow ground, double sided. On uh, both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And we left. We didn't meet the lines in the middle, and 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 uh, that's made this a little harder to grind, a little harder to line up the lines. But we wanted to leave meat in the middle. It's part of the toughness of the knife. So instead of doing it like a lot of people do, normal daggers, where the you know the the the, the, the two lines come together and meet down the middle, um, we we did this one differently so to make it stronger. Yeah, it's hardy. It's a hardy knife, no yep. doubt about it. And that's that's one of the things I love about that, it. That's the that's one of the buck collectors one. That there's a hundred of these that are uh, shipping out this week or next week. But it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He also asked, and we've we've covered this, but maybe didn't go into the details about it. Are the spikes uh, guard reversible? And they are. It's it's ambi on that. So the the yep. on the wing. original Buckmaster or the two point I'm sure he's asking about the 2.0 right now. Okay. 2.0. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is reversible, so you can you can flare them up or you can flare them down. Yeah, I mean, but it also goes and, in the left side or the right side. Yeah. It's for it lefties does. or righties. Yeah. It's just it's it's designed. Yeah, and the sheets yeah. designed that way too, and the anchor holder that's in the Desantis uh, uh, sheet is also designed to be completely ambidextrous. Yeah, that was for the very specific reason that the original one we did wasn't. But if you have to stop and orient something in a in a crisis situation, that's that's not a good thing. You, there has to be as little brain work required as possible if you're in uh, uh, if you're in some type of emergency situation. Yeah, uh, he says he loves the innovation and. Uh, you get props for the style, extra points. I like it. We'll take it. I think he's he's like campaigning really hard for you to send him one. <laughs> <laughs> Bobus seventeen seventy six. Does making the buck one ten into an auto affect its overall strength, especially in the lock? Uh no. the The lock is exactly the same. So the only thing we added was the spring deployment the the lock back is exactly the same so it didn't impact the lock in any way okay so didn't affect the strength or anything no no very good uh and then he also says thanks to buck knives for putting up with marty at the shows (laughs) (laughs) what are you talking about i'm a delight to have sacrifices we make (laughs) i'm an absolute delight come on all right, so let's award some prizes here. So of those questions, um, which one do you think? I think we should give – I had I saw the one that I think we want to give the seal one to because I was going to go with that water question. Uh, lights yeah, out, rookie like coyotes, because he asked the corrosion question. We're going to give him the seal Thumbs one up. package. So lights out, Oki coyotes. Email me, talkinglitgmail.com. Let me know what you want. I'm going to need your address so we can send it to you. All right, for the mission first, either a drinky drink or a dump tray, you know, whatever it's going to be this month, mission first tactical uh, prize. Who do you think should get that? Pick one of the questions that we ask. Yeah, that's a tough. I don't have the questions laying out in front of me. 
with uh, just uh, you got a couple for us you might get us to choose from um just you know, give us like numbers like last time okay um, how many questions and we'll randomly pick a number let's do uh one to ten pick a number between one and ten five five okay I'm, five yep I'm not gonna do 13 again rich <laughs> all right good one oh wait here's another one i didn't see this this just popped in uh, what are the new materials used in the Buckmaster, and what is the reasoning for using those? We talked about that. That's P-Man. Yeah, we, yeah, we hit it. Um, so, yeah, let's just go ahead and go with P-Man then. P-Man, you are the winner of the MFT prize for this episode. So uh, email me, tinyletsemail.com. <coughs> You've won before, so you know the routine. And for the book, the autographed book with all the extra stuff, uh, I think that should go to Talking Lead. Uh, oh wait, <laughs> how do you how do you want to determine that? You want to do random numbers again, or you do want to pick the pick a question? You want to pick question number thirteen, Rich? Yeah, I do. What the hell? What was the question? Let's hear it and double check. Let's hear it. No, you can't do that. You got to pick something beforehand. Oh, I can't. Uh-uh. All right, all right. Uh, Oh, six. Do six. It's a sixth. It's my dad's birthday, and uh, and CJ picked five. It's his birthday yesterday. So okay, this lucky awesome book. One, we'll give him the six. Whoever six is two, three. And I'm not going by the number of questions because some of you asked like five questions. So I'm just going no, by enough. the people who asked questions, and I'm starting at the bottom and going up. So one, two. Three, four, five. And th- and this is as of we doing this show. So if you post a question afterwards and you're going through there and counting, you say, oh, I should have been number six. Uh, <laughs> too bad, so sad. Uh, looks like J. Edgar Paradox. Cool. At the time of this recording. All right, recording. J. Edgar, you just you got a very, yeah, what very was the question? rare book. So he asked a saltwater question also. Um, okay. Due to the saltwater, oh, I see that good. the 425, blah, blah, blah. He asked the Rockwell hardness. That was a, a good question. Yep. Good question. Very good question. Yeah. Good. No. Sorry, Ton. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't chosen this episode. But uh, thanks to everybody who took part. And, again, I apologize. It was my fault because I made a late post, and it was a weekend post too. So a lot of people aren't on there and – and seeing the stuff, but you got to be paying attention. You got to be watching our, our stuff all the time. Cause you just never know, but that's how you win. You, you, you participate, you listen, and then you win because I don't contact the winners. They have to be listening and know that they won. So, right. Good. And I give you a certain <clears throat> amount of time to contact me, but I know all you will contact me because these are avid listeners that we picked there. I've seen your names before, and I know you've won prizes. So, very good. So, Rich, CJ, and Tell Commander, I'm sorry you had to rush off. Appreciate you guys taking the time to be on. It's a very good show. Did we cover everything? Or was there anything else that maybe we, we should have talked about that we didn't talk about? One more thing. We must ask you to come visit us at SHOT Show. All you leadheads, come visit us at SHOT Show. Uh, we're in, coming up in January. You're super excited. I'm super excited. And I personally am going to bring some swag. So if you say you're from Talking Lead and you heard this podcast, 
come visit me. You know the odds and of them showing and, up and commander. showing up better would be to have me there. <laughs> we that's that's a discussion yep. with CJ. We're having that conversation. I think we should yeah. make that happen it, sooner sooner than later because I need to lock it in. I need to lock it in. I hear you. All right, Leadheads. Uh, we appreciate, appreciate you. Thank no, you. I appreciate you guys. And thank you. No, seriously, thank you for sending me one. I'm very honored to have received one of the first releases of this. And it autographed, no doubt. Yep. So if if, if I am in the booth, I'm going to bring this with me. I'll get it I'll get it there somehow. And uh show all the lead heads, maybe get some more autographs on there. I don't know. Did you sign it, Rich? Yeah, I would. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it could be. There's a there's a RN somewhere. Uh, Maybe it's I'm on the, the it's on the sheath, but it's not on the. Really? Okay. Knife. Well, we'll we can solve that. I'm honored. Oh wait, I'm really. I don't honored. think CJ signed it. Who's Victor? Yeah, he did. Victor is an armor that worked for uh, Commander Culture in the eighties. Okay. He, he was the one that was instrumental in the handle, uh, some adjustments to the handle. Okay. And he's the one who handmade a knife for Commander. We just didn't disclose yeah. what he actually did. So I gotta get I gotta get uh, CJ's the- and I gotta get yours riches on here. So I'll bring that yes, sir. to Shot Show and get y'all's autograph on there. Uh but yeah, bring that's coming travel. up a couple of months. Uh anything new and exciting uh coming up before the end of the year with uh with Buck? You guys got a Black Friday sale, anything like that going on or Yeah, well well we Christmas. do our so the week after Thanksgiving, we do our factory sale here. So kind of a local community event. We will also be doing some online things and specials. Uh, we do our buck of the month. We still have November's going and December's will happen. A special custom, a small run of custom knives that we do that are only available through our website and right. they go really fast. Yeah, they do. Uh, other than that, it's just, it's preparing for SHOT Show in January, dialing in our final new product samples we're having our sales meeting right now so uh our sales meeting is tomorrow and wednesday um so those you know these are all the things happening to uh prepare us for what we expect to be a really good 2024 very good i like that attitude i like that um rich what do you got coming up i know you're working on the the book with uh commander i i uh, all I'm doing, yeah, we're still in the first few chapters, right? But but that's working. Uh, also, I'm doing a limited edition uh, uh, prototype that CJ's donating for the Buck Collectors Club because 100 Buck Collectors got the very first uh, 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 run of these, and it was a promise that CJ, myself, and Commander Coulter did to the Buck Collectors Club years ago. Uh, so there should be a cool picture. That's like the big contest I'm doing is just, you're going to see a lot of cool stuff online. Uh, and I have a few very special folks that uh, probably will end up doing um, some act- actual videos of this in action. So I'm pretty excited. We'll see um, what they end up doing, but that's it. I'm so looking forward to going to shot. It's going to be a dream come true. We've been talking about this since 2019. Yeah, it's going to be a big shot. I mean, with uh, 40 years, the 40-year anniversary yep. of the, the Buckmaster, the yep. release of the 2.0, uh, it's, it's going to be nice. We have the be beer garden. <laughs> the, the, and the, bug, and the, the beer garden. special beer social is dedicated to the Buckmaster 2.0 combat diver. So, Are you going to have a special uh, Buck cup for that? You're going to have the yes. the diver logo on Yes, we on? will. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I so need to be there. I so need to be yes, there. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Rich, the, they can get your books. They can go to Amazon. And uh, if you guys just do a search under Richard Nyman, N-E-Y-M-A-N, then it's going to pull up the uh, M9 Bayonet and then the Buckmaster uh, book there. Yeah. And, and um, here here also Buck Knives. Oh, you can so go to Buck the Buck Knives, Knives website? Uh, yeah, Buck Knives is pretty much exclusive, and I, I uh, that that's what I'm doing this next year is specifically Buck. Uh, Amazon's going to be uh, literally just the ebook. Okay, and is it so, in the? Um, I've got the not, not yet. CJ will have them. Oh, it's coming. Re up it. Yep, it's coming. Yes, sir. And gotcha. and maybe some hats and shirts. We'll see. We'll oh. see what happens with marketing. I just went to the front wanna, page of Buck Knives, and uh, I'm loving that that knife. Isn't that sweet? That's be- I love that brass handle. with brass L candle, one twenty four Frontiersman. That's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful knife. I like that, yeah. So guys, go check out Buck Knives. Go to the website, uh, and uh, monthly spe- I mean, they got those monthly short run custom knives. Yeah, the, the the buck of the month. Buck of the month. I like that. Buck of the month. We do we do twelve different small run you know 500 750 uh just something unique every every month and sometimes they sell out in a couple hours sometimes a couple weeks yeah. and then we know we've got a winner or or not but uh <laughs> but yeah i mean even a couple a, of weeks they sell thing. out it's still yeah just a very fun interesting thing to do yeah definitely uh and leadheads go check out all our sponsors mission first tactical go to mission first tactical use the code leadhead get 20 percent off Seal one, seal1.com. Use the code LEADHEAD, get 25% off there. Factory 47 for our AK Corner logoed items, which the AK Corner uh, this month, we're going to be talking about the uh, light machine guns the uh, that Marco uh, alluded to in our last episode that Rich was on. Uh, Defiant Munitions, or use the code LEADHEAD at Factory 47, get 10% off. Defiant Munitions uh, for all your ammo needs, all caps, LEADHEAD, 10% off there. Uh, Keltech, go to te- keltechweapons.com and use the code LEADHEAD. Get 15% off any of their uh, swag. I've got one of their new shirts right here. It's pretty sweet. I don't know if you guys can see that. Um, but their hats, their shirts, uh, anything that's not a gun, um, get a discount on there. They don't sell guns on their website. Uh, and then uh, the Kraken cases, Kraken, Kraken cases. Use the code LEADHEAD or Talking Lead and you get 10% off there. Which I got to introduce you to this company, CJ, um, and their cases that they have. They've got this like memory foam mm-hmm. that, they've, that they put in their cases. And they've got rifle cases, they've got pistol cases. Uh, this is just their sunglass case, but this would be great for a, okay. for like a really yeah, nice knife. Uh, but it's cut resistant. I've taken your knives and I've tried to cut this and you can't cut it. It's heat resistant uh, up to like, I don't know, 800 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. Wow. Um, but really cool stuff. I put eggs in here and I've closed them up and tossed it and it protects the eggs. So really good stuff. Uh, and then, of course, our new sponsor is Whiskey River Beef, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. You like you like beef, you like your meat, you go to whiskeyriverbeef.com. And uh, he's got, he took a few more cows to slaughter uh, the other day. So you can get eights, you can get quarters, you can get half, you can get a whole cow, go in with a buddy, bring a friend, split it, 
uh, however, you, however you see fit. Uh, but I'm going to be frying up or grilling up a couple of those steaks uh, this weekend. And I swear they're like three, four inches thick. They're big old thick steaks. Yeah, they're very nice. So, Whiskey River Beef. Go show them the love. Follow them on Whiskey River Life on the grams. Let them know you're leadhead. So that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. Again, Rich. CJ, thank you so much for taking the time. This has uh, been a very fun episode for me. Enjoyed it. Been fanboying. Thank you. And again, Commander, I'll I'll shoot him a little message and thank him. Uh, but until the next episode, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close and your Buckmaster 2.0 even closer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Too cool. Too, Too cool, cool for school. Hat. Too cool. <laughs> <laughs>